Johnny was a mischievous little boy, uh, and uh, he had once again disobeyed his mother, and so she ordered him to go sit in a chair in the corner. But this little strong-willed stinker refused to obey his mom. And after a few threats, she, which were not working, she informed little Johnny that she was going to have to tell dad when he got home from work. And dad wasn't as patient and kind in his discipline. And so Johnny finally obeyed his mom and he stomps off into the corner and he plops down in the chair, but he looks up with a very defiant face and says, Mom, I may be sitting on the outside, but I am standing up on the inside. Anybody ever had a child like that growing up? Any of you ever been that child? Were you that child growing up, right? (laughs) I don't know about you, but I still feel like I'm that little boy sometimes in my own life many years later. I... um, uh, and different people are, are different ways, I guess. But I, I don't have a submissive spirit uh, naturally. <laughs> uh, it is one of those areas in my life that, that I, I would like to think that I've grown in as a follower of Christ. But there is still uh, in me um, a, a rebellious heart sometimes that needs to um, uh, conform And even when I do conform, sometimes on the inside, there isn't a submissive spirit, even if there's outward obedience. And so this is a challenge for me tonight as much as maybe it will be for some of you because as we continue looking at 1 Peter, and really at this stage now here in chapter 2, at the end of chapter 2, we are now, Peter is now really dealing with very specific areas of holiness. And so just as a quick review, uh, Peter wrote this book to uh, Christians living in Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey. And these were individuals who were facing a lot lot of persecution and a lot of pain, and specifically because of their relationship with Jesus Christ. Nero was on the throne. He was a maniac. He was a crazy tyrant, um, and he had just began, when this was written, had began to really start persecuting the church, and, uh, and so Peter wrote this letter as an encouragement to the followers of Christ, but also with, with exhortation to remind them, listen, no, no matter what you may face, no matter what pain or persecution, living holy lives, and his favorite, one of his favorite words in this book, as exiles, as those who this isn't our ultimate home. This is not our best life now. There, there, is, there is a home, an eternal home that we're waiting for, and that's our true home. But while we're here, you need to live as holy, uh, holy exiles. You are to live, and that word holiness, kind of the idea of set apart, you are to be distinct. Your life is to look different, even with those who may be persecuting you. Those that are treating you poorly, you still are to live a holy life, a distinct life that looks different than the world. And so chapter 2 and the rest of the chapter, he then writes and exhorts these believers what it looks like to truly be holy in an unholy place. And this is so fitting for us today. And so as Peter continues to exhort the believers on holiness, today his focus is on submission. 
that there are certain relationships in our lives that if we are going to be holy, we need to develop a submissive spirit. So take your Bibles, if you haven't done so already, and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. And as you do that, let me just read you this quote uh, by a man by the name of Watchman Nee. Uh, he was a Christian, uh, Chinese Christian who lived in the early 1900s. Uh, after he uh, gave his life to Christ, he had 70 friends in his life, and he prayed for all 70 of his friends daily that they would come to know Christ. At the time of his death, 69 of the 70 gave their life to Christ. He became really the uh, forefather of the house church movement uh, in China. If you know a little bit about uh, the explosion of the house church movement in China, he was really the forefather of that. He wrote a book called The Normal Christian Life, which was a summary of the talks that he had given on the book of Romans. Uh, It sold over a million copies. Uh, Following the communist revolution, uh, he was persecuted and imprisoned for his faith, and he spent the last 20 years of his life in prison. Now, some of his doctrinal views are controversial, and so I'm not endorsing all of his views, but you can't argue with the fact that he certainly seemed to be a man who very much was sold out for God and had learned to have a submissive spirit towards Christ in his life. All that to say, I want to read to you a quote from him, which I think shows why God used this man. Revelation is the first step to holiness, and consecration is the second. Consecration, another word for holiness. A day must come in our lives as definite as the day of our conversion. When we give up all right to ourselves and submit to the absolute lordship of Jesus Christ. That's the challenge ultimately. We're going to look at submission in some different relationships, but at the end of the day, the prayer is that we leave here totally surrendered and totally submissive to the lordship of Christ in our lives. In my opinion, we have a very easy believism in the church today. And while salvation is free, true conversion isn't just seeing Jesus as Lord or as Savior, it's seeing him as Lord of our life. And so I hope that we leave here being able to say those words like Watchman Nee, that he has absolute lordship of my life. Okay, let's read. We're going to get three different types of relationship. There is a fourth in chapter three, but we're going to save that fourth relationship uh, for next Monday. But let's look at the first relationship that we need to submit to if we're going to be a holy people of God. Look at verses 13 through 17. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors. Governors would, those are the ones that were sent out to represent the emperor, all right, in different provinces. Okay, as sent by him, the emperor, I believe, is meant there. I I don't think that means him, the Lord, in this context. I, I think the emperor who sent out the governors. To punish those who do evil 
and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And, and I love this next verse. It's kind of one of those like creeds, right? Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So let's just look at the first of these three relationships we need to submit to. And the first one is this, submission to governing authority. Submission to governing authority. And why is submitting to governing authority so important? Well, I think that he gives us, and, and some of the words that he uses in these verses, I think what he does is he gives us two reasons why it's really important that we have a submissive spirit to governing authority. Notice the words, for the Lord's sake, in verse 13. Notice in verse 15, it talks about this being the will of God. Look at verse 16. Notice there in verse 16 where it says that, that doing so is, is revealing that you are a servant of God. When, when you look at that and, and you realize it's not just submitting to governing authorities, but really it is an act of submitting to God, we realize that it's important because it's obedience to God ultimately. When you obey, and we kind of broaden it a little bit, when, when you obey anyone in authority, whether that's a police officer or whether that is your mayor or the governor or the president or whatever the case may be, that when you are obeying uh, governing authority, you are obeying God. Now, I know that some of you might be feeling attention right now. And I'm going to get to that. So just hold on to that tension. In fact, let it build up if you want. All right? Because I'm going to, I don't know if I'm going to release it, but I am going to address it in a moment. But it's very clear here, not just the people that we wanted elected, not just, you know, if, if they behave a certain way, but it says here, for the Lord's sake, it's the will of God to obey governing authority. And so it's important because it's really obedience to God. You know, I want with all of my heart to obey God, don't you? But I still have this pesty thing called a sin nature. Do you have one of those? And it makes it so hard sometimes to be submissive, even to God. I came across this illustration that I thought was pretty, pretty cute. The captain of a ship looked into the dark night and he saw a light in the distance. Immediately he told his signalman to send a message. Alter your course 10 degrees south, he, promptly, uh, he, he said, and he promptly received a, a reply. Alter your course 10 degrees north. The furious captain sent another message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a captain. Uh, soon another reply was received. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I am seaman third class Jones. The captain sent a final message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. To which the reply came, alter your course 10 degrees north, I am a lighthouse. 
<laughs> I think we all get it, like in our heads, right? Of, of course we should obey and submit to Christ, right? I mean, I mean he is the lie out. He, yeah, right? He's unmovable. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Of course he knows more than I would know. And yet, isn't it sometimes still hard for us to obey? We still want our will, don't we? And so I want to just say that when we think about any relationship where we're called to submit, I want to just throw this out as a challenge to all of us. When we don't want to, when we bucket, when we fight it, could it be that a lack of submission in those relationships is revealing in us a lack of a submissive spirit towards God himself? And we justify it and we can say all the things we want, but is that revealing that there really is ultimately a submissiveness issue, not just with so-and-so and so-and-so, but it reveals at its deepest level a lack of a submissiveness to God himself where we want to be on the throne. We want to call the shots. So submitting to governing authorities is obedience to God. And as Peter said in chapter, or a couple weeks ago, chapter one, chapter two, I'm not even sure now, he refers to us as obedient children. We are called to be obedient children. I do wonder if we put so much emphasis on his forgiveness, his grace, and his mercy that maybe even unintentionally we de-emphasize the importance of holiness and obedience. Obedience matters deeply to God. And one of the ways we obey is to obey those he's put in positions of authority. The other reason why it's important to submit to governing authority is, uh, secondly, because it's a testimony for God. Notice the phrase, putting to silence the ignorance of foolish people in verse 15. So so what was happening, and, and he addressed this in the first half of chapter two, is that you had these non-believers who were trying to discredit believers. And so they spread lies, they spread rumors about them, they, they, they talk smack about them to try to hurt their testimony. And what Peter is saying, that when you day in and day out choose to do the right thing, and in this context, choose to obey the authorities, you're shutting them up because they just sound ignorant because everyone sees your real character and they know that's not true. And so when we choose to be, have a submissive spirit towards governing authority, and let me just stop for a minute, because some of you might say, well, well, I don't like who's in power, and this, they're doing this and this to our country. And, and, and It was Emperor Nero who was in charge when, God's, when Peter is saying this to the people. We're talking about one of the most evil emperors that ever existed. And governors who who would carry out his orders to persecute Christians. Peter himself, who had already faced persecution, but would himself face intense persecution, being hung on a cross like Jesus, but not wanting to be, didn't feel worthy to be crucified the same way, asked if he could be crucified upside down, was killed, crucified upside down. So... (laughs) Trust me, we have nothing on 
the Christians in this day that Peter's writing. And he's saying to them, you want to be a testimony? You want all of the rumors they're trying to uh, spread to discredit Christianity? You want that to just seem stupid and just ignorant for them to do? Then you live a life that is holy. And part of that is having a submissive spirit, a respectful, submissive spirit, even to those who are leading horribly, miserably, in an unholy way. So turn to Romans 13, 1 through 5 for a second. Because I do think that the tension that you, you can feel sometime is what happens when decisions are made that are contrary to God's word? What, when, when they're leading in a way, whoever this may be, president, governors, mayors, police, I mean anyone, you know, they're, they're not doing the right thing. You know, fill in the blank. Any type of authority. Well, Paul actually uses what I think is stronger language uh, about the importance of those that are in positions of authority. Um, He says in verses 1 through 5, and we have it up here on the screen if you didn't get a chance to turn there, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. And this is where he uses some language that kind of brings some things out that maybe Peter didn't. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For if rules are, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Because similar to what uh, Peter was saying, right, that to, to punish evil and to praise good, right, similar. Would you, verse 3, the second half of it, would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. I mean, that's strong language. That to go against governing officials, to not submit and obey, will bring on God's wrath and it will cause guilt in our own conscience. And again, I understand the tension because all of us know that not everyone that's been put in a position of authority, first of all, see themselves as servants of God and they don't always do what is right. In fact, the sad reality is just, you know, study your history, right? The truth of the matter is there are those that have been put in authority who actually applaud evil and punish good instead of punishing evil and applauding good. So my question is this, is disobeying governing authorities ever an option? So is there an option 
to go against, not to go against God, but go against governing authorities in some instances. Uh, if you watch the five-minute Phillips that Uncaged Bible Ministry puts out, and if you haven't seen those, basically whatever we talk about on Monday night, five, uh, five days, uh, five weekdays, Monday through Friday, we do little five-minute devotionals on the same passage. Um, and you can go to uncagedbibleministry.com and you can check those out or YouTube or wherever. But this morning I talked about, on there, I talked about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, a Christian um, theologian and pastor from um, uh, Germany and during Nazi Germany and how he had to really wrestle with this whole concept. And for him, it led to resistance and he ended up dying, I think it was only like a week before um, or maybe a month before Germany surrendered. He ended up being executed because of his resistance. And so that is a man of God um, who believes that there is a place for civil disobedience. And I'll just tell you, I, I think there is too. I, I think you, you need a lot of wise counsel and a lot of prayer <laughs> to, to know when and how something like that looks. And my justification would be a number of places in Scripture because I don't, who cares what I think? It, it's what God's Word says that matters. I've been reading, and really not because of this, but I've been reading through the book of Daniel because I'm toying with the idea of doing a series um, through the book of Daniel. And I've been, so I've been reading through it. And boy, you don't have to get very far into Daniel <laughs> to see civil disobedience. I mean, chapter one, they refused. Um, and if you don't know the story of Daniel, I don't have time to tell it, go back and read it. But uh, in Daniel chapter one, these men that were brought from, from uh, Jerusalem um, uh, uh, to Babylon under the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar, they refused to eat the, the food that they ate because it went against, uh, that violated God's law, chapter one. Chapter three, you have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who refused to bow down, to bow a knee to King Nebuchadnezzar. They're thrown into the furnace. God miraculously... Um, uh, miraculously um, uh, prevents them from, um, from, from burning. And in fact, there was a fourth presence in there. Most of us would, would think that was the pre-incarnate Christ who was with, with, with them. And, and then chapter six, where uh, it became a, against the law, right, to pray to, to, to Jehovah God. And Daniel went up to his room, did what he always did. He, he disobeyed, he violated that and obeyed God instead of man. And so we have in Scripture examples of civil disobedience. Let me just read one example of this, and then we really probably need to move on to the next point here. But um, Acts chapter 5, you don't need to turn there, verse 27 through 29. Uh, Peter uh, one, uh, was one of the apostles that were thrown into jail um, because of them proclaiming Christ. The Jewish uh, ruling council told them not to talk about Jesus. They did so anyways. Uh, you get to chapter 5, verse 27 through 29, it says this. And when they had brought them, they sent them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name, the name of Jesus. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must what? Say it with me. We have to obey God rather than man. And so is there a place for civil disobedience? There is, again, much prayer and much wise counsel if it ever comes to something like that. 
And the only time something like that really happens is when man's law violates God's law. We are to obey the law of the land unless it's disobedience to God to do so. Does that make sense? I mean, this could be a whole, <laughs> a whole series in and of itself. So I, I just want to kind of just, you know, this isn't just a always no matter what, okay? So let's move on. Let's look at the second, uh, second uh, submission that needs to happen. And this has a tension involved in it as well. So here we go, verse 18 through 20. I'm in Romans. Hold on. Let me get back where I'm supposed to be. All right, verse 18 through 20. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Now, for application for us here today, in 2022, I'm going to word it this way. The second submission is submission to employers. Submission to employers or our bosses. This is the tension because we know what that's really saying. I mean, I think there's some applicable principles for us today, but this is, there's no sugarcoating it, this is slaves and their masters. You know, one of the reasons why, and this is just a little side note, one of the reasons why I think expository teaching is so important, and I think I've shared that with you, that's the heartbeat behind Uncage, is that um, we get back to studying the whole counsel of God's Word, um, that we are, we are celebrating and trying to model expository teaching. The church that I'm starting is the same thing. It will be unapologetically expository teaching. And one of the reasons, there's many benefits of working through books of the Bibles. One of it is you can't wimp out. You have to hit tough things in God's word. Now, you can wimp out like I'm sort of doing today and not cover it too deeply on something you're hitting. For the sake of time, I'm not going to cover that whole issue today, but I have done some things. Uh, um, because here's the tension, right? Right? Why wouldn't God, instead of, you know, like in the law, he, he gave, you know, treatment um, of, of how a master should treat a slave. In, in the New Testament, he addresses the issue um, of how, how uh, things should be done. But, but why doesn't he just come out and, and condemn slavery? My answer is, I don't know. Sorry, I, I, I don't know. I want to read this quote from R.C. Sproul in his exposition, um, his book on First and Second Peter. Some people are overwhelmed by finding slavery in Scripture, particularly in the New Testament. The late theologian John Murray said that the New Testament thereby does not endorse slavery, and yet at the same time it did not forbid it. But as Murray said, all of the seeds for the dissolution 
of slavery were sown in the New Testament. And so you see treatment of how we treat people, all people, throughout Scripture, and that it was used um, oftentimes um, to, 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 uh, um, to get rid of slavery. But it is true that there's no verse of Scripture that's specifically outlawed. It doesn't condone it. And I, right or wrong, I mean, not right or wrong, because God's never wrong, but whether you like this explanation or not, let me just say, this book was not written to deal with every issue in society. The purpose, not a purpose, the purpose of this book was to proclaim the redemption of, plan of God to redeem sinful creatures like you and me through the finished work of Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, and his future return. That is the purpose of the Bible. And so societies that had slavery, that would continue to have slavery, while that is a horrific issue, The bigger issue is the need for Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. To be able to endure what would inevitably happen because of the sinfulness of man. Does anybody think slavery's done? There's still slavery out there. There's human trafficking. There's um, sex trafficking. There's all of those things happening today. The primary purpose of this book was not to deal with every issue of society, but to help people find the only hope in a sinful society until Christ returns and we have a perfect society. I know that doesn't answer all of the questions there, but I hope it at least helps a little bit. Um, if One other thing that I just kind of wouldn't encourage you to do is, um, every, so every week we have a growth guide that kind of allows you to go deeper. We have a verse-by-verse commentary put together by my father-in-law. Um, and um, we have um, questions on there you can go through with your, just yourself or with your spouse or with some friends based on the teaching. But this week, I also put an article in there by um, Got Questions. And um, they, they, they address this issue. Why doesn't the Bible specifically condone slavery? And so, so while we're, we're going to move on here tonight, I wanted to give you some resources to read. And, uh, so, um, and so all you have to do to get to the growth guide is you can either go to our website or you can scan the QR code. And uh, that is on your uh, program you got when you came in. It's also on those signs, yard signs as well. And that article is in there. And so I'm hoping that maybe that's a a little bit of a help for you. Okay. Let's keep moving. So let's broaden the principle to what does that look to be submissive to our employees? Well, I think a couple things stand out. I'm gonna give you, um, I want to give you three things here under uh, the importance of submitting to our bosses, to our employers uh, that come out in this passage. The first one is this. We need to submit with respect even when treated poorly. Let me say that again. We need to submit with respect even when treated poorly. Now, let me just preface that. I'm not saying that like unhealthy, dysfunctional, you know, that, you know, 
leadership that, that, you, that you just, you're a doormat and you never say anything or, you know, it may be that you need to walk away for your own sanity and health. But what I am saying though, and this is what Peter is saying, even, even evil, unhealthy, you know, uh, leadership to, to still respect the position of leadership while you're under it. You see, we live in a society that keeps score when it comes to love. We really do. We keep score. You treat me well, I'll treat you well. We live in a society where there's so much humanism that's been taught. We have taught so much that I matter most, so much that even inside the church, there's humanism that seeps inside of the church. And so a principle like this, that's unheard of. I would never respect or honor someone that treated me badly. Really? Jesus did. God does every day. Do any of us really think we deserve breath each day? I can tell you this, godlier men than me in the Bible... And this wasn't even the full, you know, it was a, it was a, a veiled, a, a veiled uh, um, image of God that was revealed to them. You, you know what they did? They fell to their knees in terror, begging for forgiveness. Why? Because they saw up close and personal the holiness of God. And in that moment, they realized how utterly, in comparison to God, how unholy they really were in comparison to him. And so the first thing they even thought to do was to fall to their knees and beg in repentance for God to forgive them. It is high time that our churches start teaching on the holiness of God. And we won't walk around thinking, well, I deserve this and that God should have done this for me. We will start being gracious, submissive people when we realize I don't even deserve breath today and God in his grace and mercy gave it to me anyways. So when you have a mean boss, what do you do? Well, you quit or you honor him and stay there. (laughs) How's that for practical? Second thing I I see in this passage, submit because it pleases God. Submit because it pleases God. Notice that phrase, mindful of God. So I want you to try someone. I'm not going to ask you to show hands, but I'm guessing that there are some of you that really don't like your boss that much. Um, yes. yes, thank you. Okay. Um, in that moment of frustration and, you know, however you want to respond, I want you to remember that one phrase in this passage. Mindful of God. In that moment, 
when you're like, how did this incompetent buffoon ever get this job? Over me. (laughs) And you feel like going over to the water, cooler area, and start talking trash about your boss, which isn't honoring to God, by the way. I want you in that moment to remember those three words from this passage. Mindful of God. Be mindful of God and ask this question because it's a more important question than how good of a leader your boss is or isn't how good or how he isn't. The most important question is this. If you're going to be mindful of God is what would please God in how I respond to his or her incompetency <laughs> or mean-spirited approach or how he's treating me. I mean, this is tough stuff today, isn't it? These aren't easy truths tonight. But again, holiness isn't easy, <laughs> right? It goes against culture. Submitting to our employers, even when they don't behave appropriately, pleases God. And the third one is this. This is the one that I hadn't thought about because I've taught on this before. But these two words really stood out studying this passage. Uh, It's the same word used twice in these verses. The word gracious. The word gracious is used twice. And it's used specifically, not of God necessarily, but it's used of the person who chooses to obey their employer even when their employer isn't treating them as they should be treated, the word gracious is used two times. And I found that very curious. And so I stopped and thought about that and pondered that and, and thought, man, why is that? And, and, and I really think that, that what Peter was getting at there is that when we submit, and the reason we should submit is because it demonstrates the grace of God. You see, we want to fight for our rights. When Peter is saying, what if you are treated badly and you still honor the person in authority over you? Do you know what that demonstrates? More important than something about my rights, my rights. You know what that demonstrates to that person and those people working with you? That demonstrates the grace of God. Sure, you can complain like everyone else in the workplace. Make jokes behind the rack. Or you can have a submissive spirit that still honors the position, doesn't condone the actions, but honors the position And you demonstrate to those around you and to the boss himself the grace of God. What is grace? Not getting what you deserve. Right? Your boss, my boss deserves to be punched right in the nose. (laughs) But instead, you have a submissive spirit and you honor the position. Even if you don't really respect the man, you respect the position That's grace. You're giving what he doesn't really deserve or she doesn't really deserve. It's the grace of God. 
would any of us be here if but by the grace of God tonight? I think the follower of Christ perhaps his most powerful witness is when, it dem- is when he or she demonstrates grace. I don't know about you, but what I read on Facebook and the news and the back and the forth, I don't see a lot of grace in our world today. Do you? How about we start demonstrating graciousness as Christ followers? Why? Because we have been lavished with more grace than we will ever extend to anybody else. Little boy had been consistently late for dinner. One particular day, his parents had warned him to be on time, but he arrived especially late that night. He found his parents already seated at the table, about to start. Quickly, he sat in his place, but he knew he was busted. (laughs) He sat down, and they noticed what was set before him. It was just a slice of bread and a glass of water. There was silence as he sat staring at his plate, crushed, knowing it is probably what he deserved to only have bread and water because he was late yet again, disobeyed yet again. Suddenly he saw his father's hand reach over, pick up his plate, and set it before himself. Then his dad put his own full plate in front of his son, smiling warmly as he made the exchange. When the boy became a man, he said, all my life I've known what God was like by what my father did that night. Maybe that little story, and I don't even know if it's a true story or a made-up story, quite honestly. But maybe that little story should come to our minds when we feel like giving people what they deserve instead of extending to them grace. Because that's what the Heavenly Father does every day of our life. When we choose sin, He forgives. When we repent, He forgives. And 2,000 years ago, His Son died on the cross so that we... (laughs) would not get what we deserved, but so that we could be extended grace, so that in those moments, he still sees in us the righteousness of Christ. Aren't you thankful for the grace of God tonight? Man, let us show grace to those we work for. All right, one more. 21 through 25, because now he, he, he tells this under the context of our employers, our bosses, but it really gives to us a third and the most important one to submit to. And really, everything flows out of this. So this is the key right here. Verse 21 through 25. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And when he was reviled... He did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued 
entrusting himself to him who judges justly. I wonder if we think it's our duty to be the one who makes sure that that person pays the price for the way they've treated us. I wonder if somewhere in us we're not trusting God as being a just judge. Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Whatever the submission is, and and maybe those first two I've shared, you don't have an issue with those. But maybe there's a, a struggle with a submissive spirit in some other relationship. You know what? All of it flows from what, from what I just read. Because what we had modeled for us is a Savior who was ridiculed, who was mocked, who was spit on, who, 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 who was whipped. Not, not with just some leather whip, but they, they would put metal bits into those and nail bits into those whips 2,000 years ago so that when it wouldn't, just, it just wouldn't just sting a man, it would rip into the skin and pull chunks of flesh out every time. Every time they whipped Jesus. In fact, I think it was Isaiah that, that prophesied, uh, what was it, six 700 years before it happened, that Jesus, he would be crucified so badly and tortured so badly that he didn't even look like a human being after they were done with him. They mocked him. They put a, a, a thorn of crowns on his head. They, they jokingly, laughing at his expense, paid homage, oh, to the king of the Jews, huh? And as Jesus, in pain that none of us can even imagine, as he hung on the cross, what came out of his mouth? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. You know, it could be that your boss, that governing official that you ridicule and you make jokes about instead of honoring and respecting, it very well could be that they don't know Christ And so maybe what the response should be is not jokes about them behind their back. Maybe the words of Jesus should say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And maybe that time, not talking about them, not ridiculing them, not telling jokes about them, maybe that time instead should be spent on our knees praying that they would come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior so that they could receive the love of Christ in them so they could then lead well and lovingly and in a Jesus-like way. Because Jesus did not revile when he was reviled. He he chose to submit himself as a suffering sheep to save us from our sin and to set an example so that we might learn to submit to him as our shepherd. Jesus went from sheep to shepherd. 
but he had to submit himself to become our shepherd. And in his humanness, when he cried out, Lord, is there any other way? But not my will, but yours be done. He submitted himself to being a suffering sheep. Because that's the price that was required for our salvation. How far are we willing to go to see others saved? Are we willing to submit ourselves at great personal cost that others might discover Christ? These are not easy words tonight. These are challenging words, and I promise you that I am not pointing the finger at you. As I said when I started, I don't submit naturally. (laughs) And so I'm challenged as much as you are to submit myself to the shepherd. And in submitting myself to the shepherd, submitting myself to those around me that don't look anything like the shepherd. Because our kingdom isn't an earthly kingdom. Our kingdom is a heavenly kingdom. And that's what we live for. Amen? Amen. Father God, thank you for your holy word. And may it produce holy men and women through the work of the Holy Spirit. Teach us to submit in our relationships. Not to simply submit to those who deserve it, but to submit because we're ultimately submitting to you and to submit because more than anything, we are here to shine the glorious light on you and to magnify the name of Christ. May we look like Jesus in our relationships this week. And all God's people said, Amen. We hope you were encouraged by God's Word today. You can join us each weekday morning for a five-minute fill-up. And for other teaching, writing, and training resources, don't forget to check out our website at uncagedbibleministry.com. The mission of Uncaged is to help people fall in love with the Word of God so they fall more in love with the God of the Word.